Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Well, it's good to be with you. It's good to be with the people online as well. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate that. My name is Philip Steele. I'm the missions pastor. I'm going to follow in Pastor Delvin's footsteps a little bit. Last week, he showed a picture of his family. So I got to do, I got to do the same thing as well. So I think we've got some pictures of my family. <coughs> On the right is my son-in-law, Nolan. And then next to him is his wife, my daughter, Grace. They both work at the Every Nation offices. That's our global family of churches offices just down the street. He works in the communications department, so he sends out emails to probably hundreds of pastors around the world. And then my daughter works in partner care, so she, she helps to facilitate missionaries, probably hundreds of missionaries and their partners, probably thousands of missionaries as well. Up on the top is Ruth. She's a Lipscomb graduate in civil engineering, and she'll be taking a group of Lipscomb students to Honduras, my wife's country. They'll be going in a couple weeks. Great gift of leadership upon her. And then my son, Joshua, is up on the left. He's recently married, well, a year and a half ago, to Gabby on the left. That's Pastor Jerry's daughter, so we got some things going on there as well. They've been married about a year and a half. He recently graduated in mechanical engineering. You know, just doing some great things there. I, I, what I enjoyed about being with my son on Sunday, we were sitting back there in the, in the grandparents section with all the grandchildren. <laughs> and then when Pastor Dave got up and said, okay, let's everybody, let's just pray. You know, as he was given the call, Pastor Dave said, you know, just ask the Christians to pray. So I look over at my son and he's just like this. He's just praying. And I think he's praying in the spirit, you know, so that was great joy. Hey, wait a minute. Let's go back to that picture there. There we go. No, the previous picture. Previous picture. <coughs> well, because up on the top is Olive. She's uh, four, almost five years old. And then my daughter, Grace, has Phineas. And then my wife is holding Ivy. And the next picture, you'll be able to see Joshua and Gabby as well had a, had a baby that my wife, Edith, is. Edith is from Honduras. We've been married 30, well, it'd be 32 years in December. And so there are four grandchildren. No greater joy. I think I got one more. One more of the grandchildren. So that's kind of... Okay, ready? One, two, three. Aww. Try it again. One, two, three. There we go. Yeah, you just got to do... It's just dangerous to get the mic up here and you got grandchildren and all that. So let's get into the Word. Are you ready to get into the Word? Okay, what we're going to do over the next season of time, we're going to, you know, Resurrection Sunday was just a few days ago, and then Pentecost Sunday will be coming up in about seven weeks, Penta 50. And so Acts 1-3, it said, He presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing, there, appearing to them, to the disciples, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we're entering into a season between Easter and Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. So what we want to do on Wednesday nights, you know, of course, next Wednesday is going to be Winning in Life with Pastor Rice. It'll be Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I really encourage you to be a part of that. 
But as much as possible, what we want to do is kind of continue to talk about the resurrection and look at Jesus' resurrection and then get into a little bit about the kingdom of God. So that's kind of our next uh, six or seven weeks, what we'll be doing. Of course, we'll take a pause for winning in life, and there might be some other pauses. But that's what we want to do just a little bit. And so we're going to get into that. And, and Pastor Delvin, last week, he said that Jesus' last words many times are our first question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, and so that's what he preached on last week. Excellent message. Thank you, Pastor Delvin. What I want to get into is almost the contrary to that question of why would you appear? Why would you appear in that place, in that time, to that person? It's kind of the contrary. You know, why would, you, why would you forsake me? But then why would you appear? And so we're going to start in John 20. And I know Pastor James touched on this. You know, there's different accounts from the different Gospels. The Gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel according to Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to be in John, John chapter 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, the angel said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Same question again. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And then Mary Magdalene, here making reference to her, like her, what we know her as, Mary Magdalene, went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So the first question, you know, I kind of have, I'll have some questions and then I'll try to answer them, excuse me, as much as possible. First of all, who was this Mary Magdalene? You know, she appears from what I can see about four times in the scripture, Mary from the city or the region of Magda, Magdala. You know, she appears in, in Luke chapter 8 where it says there were several women who supported Jesus financially. You know, out of, the, you know, so there were women that were supporting the ministry, giving out of their means, and she was one that was mentioned there. She's also mentioned as being one, the last one at the tomb, at the, no, I'm sorry, the last one at the cross, and then the first one at the tomb. And it's really interesting if you pay attention to some details, and if you just look at it a little bit, of the four times that she's mentioned with a list of other women, Three of those times she's mentioned first, which is significant because they put the first, you know, person, you know, and, so, and then it also says that, that she was, she had seven demons cast out of her as well. So just a little kind of backdrop on who this was. Now, next question would be, why did Jesus reveal himself at that time, in that moment? 
Because if you go back to John chapter 20, at the beginning, it starts with Mary Magdalene. She went to the tomb. She found that it was empty. It was real early in the morning. She found that it was empty. And then she went back, told the disciples. Peter and John came running. And I think Peter got there first. You know, Peter went in. John got there first. But then Peter went in, and, you know, they didn't see anything. And then they went. And that's where we started with verse 11. It says, but Mary... Well, that but Mary, you have to go back to the previous verses to find out what that really means because she went early in the morning on that first Sunday and, you know, and, then, and then she, you know, she came back with them and they left and she stayed. Why didn't Jesus appear five minutes earlier? Peter and John would have been there. You know, they were a part of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John that... You know, we're in the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, that were in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John, that, you know, went into Jairus' home when the, her, his daughter was raised. Why didn't Jesus appear? Why did he appear at that time? Five minutes could have made a difference as to who was there. That's a micro time element of five minutes. If you zoom out just a little bit, you'll see that Jesus was the Passover lamb. It was during Passover that Jesus died. He had to be the lamb that was slain even before the foundations of the world. He was the Passover lamb. Passover representing when they had come out of Egypt. They had to kill, the, you know, the first, they had to kill that lamb and put the, door, the blood on the doorpost and then the angel of death would pass over all of those, and they would celebrate the Passover every year, and that was always pointing towards, just like John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus was fulfilling, you know, on, on a five-minute level, it made a difference on a, you know, one-year level every year. He was, the, he was the Passover Lamb. But if you look at the context of what was going on during that time, the Roman Empire, something they call Pax Romana, the Roman peace where the Roman Empire was able to establish, you know, the roads and the communication and the commerce, which would facilitate the spreading of the gospel. You see, we do have a God that looks down from eternity and intervenes into our lives. And even if we go back to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel was in Babylon at the time. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Even those little phrases, they're very charged, very significant phrases, to, put a, to atone for iniquity. Who is it that atones for our iniquity? To bring an everlasting righteousness, we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. To seal both vision and prophet, to anoint a most holy place. Verse 25, no one understand that from the going out of the word to restore and to build Jerusalem at the coming, to the coming of an anointed one. Who was that anointed one? Jesus, a prince, who is the prince of peace. There shall be seven weeks, then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat and a troubled time. And then after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. It shall come with a flood and the end there shall be desolations decreed. Now, 
there's differences of opinions amongst the, the, the theologians about, you know, the timing of that, the, the weeks. It's pretty much, you know, 70 weeks. That would be, you know, one week being seven years, 7,490 years. And some would say that, you know, that lines up to Jesus' crucifixion. Um, I might be speculating a little bit, but I think that our God, you know, could have coordinated all of that so that, you know, even from close to 500 years previous, that there would be a prophecy of in that time, in that time. But we do know Galatians 4 says that when the fullness of time had come. That's the chronos, chronology. That's our calendar time. When the fullness of the chronos had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's us, to redeem us from even the curse of the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, adoption as daughters, that we can boldly go into the throne of grace. I was thinking, you know, if you look at the pictures of my, my children again, I remember when my son-in-law, Nolan, I think he was, they were married at that time. And there was a, there was a time where I had to check my own heart because he looked in my refrigerator. You know, you know my refrigerator. <laughs> You know, of course, my children can't. And then I got to realize that I had to check my own heart. Wait a minute. He's family now. I got to, I, I can't see. I just got to, you know, it's, it's somebody from not your family going into your refrigerator. But now I, it was my bad that I didn't, you know, in my own heart. You know, see, we have to know that we can, if we're in the house of God, we can enter boldly in. You know, maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you don't have a father or abusive father or absent father. But we have a heavenly father who has adopted us. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heaven. We have been blessed, Ephesians chapter 1 talks about. We have been blessed. In the fullness of time, God sent Jesus so that we might be adopted. That's Galatians. Now Romans gives us another side of the same coin. Romans 5, 6, for when we were still weak at the right time, the kairos, that special visitation time, that special time when, when it's almost like God from his eternity intervenes into our chronos and it becomes a special kairos moment. Christ died for the ungodly. So you can see that, you know, Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene at that time on a micro five-minute time difference, on an annual time, he was the Passover lamb that celebrated during the Passover festival, a 500-year time, you know, God intervened. Now, why did Jesus reveal himself at that place? One thing Pastor James said on, on Sunday was that the stone was removed not so that Jesus could get out of the tomb. Because later we find that he would just appear in these rooms that were locked. You know, special glorified bodies. So he didn't need the stone. But it was more like so we could go in and see. You know, and, and I just kind of, just meditating, just kind of question, you know, why did... If it was going to be just men that were going to go, they wouldn't have had to remove the stone. But I think that God sent the angels to remove the stone because he kind of knew that it might be women that would go first. 
you know, in that, in that place. You know, and, and, and if we can just continue on in that, that place, the geography of the place. You know, I think we've got the next one. We've got some maps of the, what we would call the Fertile Crescent. You know, it's just center of culture, center of even different inventions like the wheel and agriculture and irrigation and that kind of, that's kind of a crescent there. You can see Egypt, you can see the Arabian Desert. And if we could zoom out just a little bit, you'll see, you know, in the Mediterranean Sea on the east side, that's Syria and then Israel, you know, that's kind of where that goes. We'll, we'll zoom out again a little bit more. These are like more current maps, but you see on the Mediterranean Sea, eastern part so so jesus in that geography that was crossroads that would lead you into africa into asia you know india and then up into europe and so it was a very strategic place that he was you know on that kind of a macro there's micro and there's macro differences and i think of what pastor rice says too is that jesus rose from the dead in the very place where it would have been the easiest to disprove Christianity by showing the body. You know, so Christianity started right where, you know, all you got to do is, it's not like he started it, you know, in a, up in a place far, far away where, in, you know, in Alaska or, you know, some other place that's just so distant, but right there. So all they had to do was find the body and show us the body. Christianity would have been over. You know, but, but because Jesus rose from the dead in that same place, we see all these, these things coming together in the resurrection. Now, why did Jesus reveal himself to Mary, Mary Magdalene? Another question that we could, we could ask. You know, and, and Pastor James P.J. made mention of it that, you know, in, in that time, women were not considered equal to men by any means. You know, we'll just, leave, we'll just leave it like that. You know, and I think that because Jesus appeared first to a woman, that woman would forever be elevated. And where Christianity goes in, a true Christianity, it's not, the idea is not to oppress women, but to lift them up. I'm called as a husband, I'm called to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm called to, you know, not be harsh with her so that my prayers won't be uh, it won't have obstacles, won't be, what's the word? Estorbado, como se dice? Hindered, thank you for that. I just get a little help there from the, I say, I do a lot of ministry in Latin America and I preach in Spanish probably more than I preach in English and so sometimes it just flows better. Muchas gracias, hermana. So women would be elevated. Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, and I know some people might be saying, well, you know, you said husbands love your wives, but then it also says wives submit to your husbands. But if you look closely, it says in Ephesians, submit to one another. And by no means are women inferior, but my, my wife is a co-heir with me in Christ Jesus. I'm very cautious even about saying, well, the husband has to be the priest in the household, the, you know, the prophet, but my wife can hear the voice of the Lord just the same as I am, and she's let me know that too. 
I am not my wife's savior, and I'm not my wife's mediator. Jesus is the savior, and Jesus is the mediator, and she has equal access to the throne of grace as I do. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, co-heirs, according to the promise. Our pastor, Bishop Brett Fuller, recently uh, wrote a book called High Ceilings, Women in Leadership. And he says, I can find nothing in scripture that confirms the innate weakness of the female gender, obviously ignoring the differences in physical stature. By God's own admission, Adam was the one who needed a help, not Eve. And God's assistance was for him to have a woman. (laughs) Just think about that for a little bit. (laughs) Lord, help us. (laughs) Women would always be elevated. And where the gospel goes in, I I would hope that that would be, you know, it might take some generations, but I hope that that would be the end result if we as men would would learn to love our wives, to treat women with respect, to treat the sisters as sisters. And also the outcasts would forever be accepted. Mary Magdalene from that, that area that we don't know much about. It's not like, well, she's from New York City, she's from Jerusalem, she's from this big mega epicenter of culture. We, you know, she look up Magdalene, she don't really know much about it. And then that, that she had seven demons cast out of her. But how many of you know that your past doesn't need to determine your future? Your future can be determined, should be determined by the call of God, by the promises of God, by the identity of God. 1 Corinthians 1, for consider your calling, brothers and sisters, I would add. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God, here we again, we have a but God. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You know, so I ask the question, you know, why at that time, why in that place, why to that person? And when we talk about why to that person, did Mary have something that we can imitate? Is there some cues, some some keys in her life? What can we learn? I know that God is sovereign. He can reveal himself to anybody he wants to. He can reveal himself to a Saul of Tarsus on the way to Damascus. But can we learn something? Is there something we might be able to imitate, you know, in Mary Magdalene's life? I mentioned at the beginning, I mentioned that she is noted in Scripture, from what I can see, four times, three of those times amongst the lists of women, she's the first one listed. And I mentioned that that she... um, was the last one, or amongst the last ones at the cross, first one at the tomb, you know, even before Peter and John, while it was still early. Matthew might give us a clue when it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Am I hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Or am I being filled up with the lights and the glitter, the entertainment of this world, the social media, the, you know, when is the, when is the football season going to start again? You know, what's the latest movie? What's the latest social media? The, you know, the, the newest Netflix and other, you know, 
whatever it might be? Am I looking for that, that satisfaction from this world? It's almost like drinking a can of Coca-Cola that when you drink it, you end up just as empty. When you drink the contaminated waters of this world, you end up just as empty as that bottle of Coca-Cola, that can of Coca-Cola. And then you just need more and you need more and it's, a, it's an insatiable desire and lust for just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. How much sex do you really need? How much recognition do you really need? What selfie are you going to take? How many likes do you need on social media before you're going to be satisfied? Or can we come to the one who said, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Can we come unto the one who said, come to me all you who are thirsty and drink of these living waters. Can we come to the one who said, come to me if you're hungry and I am the bread of life. Can we come to him? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Can we strive after that holiness? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Can we strive after that? And, I, and I, it's like, I need to be down there and, and, and say amen and, you know, come forward at the altar call in my heart as well. You know, how many times do I, do I reach out for something and I realize, I just wasted that. That's just, why did I do that? You know, why can't I, why can't I get into the word even more? You know, and just love God. And, you know, instead of watching, you want to watch a, a romance movie. You know, why don't you read the Song of Solomon? You, why don't you read the book of Ephesians where he, the groom, Jesus, the groom, comes after us, the bride. You want to watch a war movie. Why don't you read the book of Revelation where it says, I saw the heavens open and I saw one mounted upon a white horse. And he's coming and making war. And with him are the faithful, the chosen, and the elect. You know, we, we look for these cheap imitations of adventure, whether it's in, you know, action movies or, or romance and that kind of, the greatest romance is, is God coming after us. Can we respond to that? Can I respond? Can you respond to that? Oh God, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you appeared to Mary of Magdalene at that time, in that place, to that person. God, I pray that you would appear to us once again, Lord Jesus. Even those watching online, God, I pray for a, a fresh encounter with you once again, God. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. And even those who the world has rejected, you accept and you bring close, Lord Jesus. Whatever our past might have been, I pray that we could hear your invitation, your loving invitation that would say, come unto me.